This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, I am so glad that I'm not in your shoes, because there are so many good, good seminars to choose from. I actually thought it would be kind of good if I just disappeared, right? And went and attended some myself. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad you're here with us. We have some new faces over here. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's begin this one with a prayer as well. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of sharing here with my brothers and sisters And I pray for your spirit to be with us as we talk about this great gift that you've given us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, for for who wasn't here on the first one? All right, so we've got about half. On the first one, we looked at, uh, we were looking at Ellen White, the person. A little bit of her personal history and her children and her marriage and her life sketch. Now we get into what I think is the exciting stuff. So you picked right. This is the this is the exciting one. Let's begin with some warm-ups. Now, if you're sitting alone, you would probably need to turn to the person next to you because you'd need at least one person near you. Okay, because we're going to do kind of a couple of group activities. So if you don't have anyone near you, maybe you just want to go move and sit by someone that you've got a partner at least somewhere there. All right, just quickly discuss with your partner. How is Ellen White viewed where you come from? I said, your neck of the woods. Here's your options. Either very positively, they love everything she wrote, or somewhat positively, they say, okay, she has her place, or they're kind of neutral, like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Maybe a little negative, some of her stuff's okay, or maybe very negative. If you say Ellen White, you start a fight. All right, so discuss with your partner, not how you feel, but where you come from, how your church or the area where you come from, what it's like. Okay, this, this, this should be fun. Um, how many of you say that she is viewed very positively where you come from? That people just love everything she wrote? All right, all right. What, what areas are you from? Where, Nashville? Okay. Is it one particular church or just the area there? The youth group and everything? 
Okay, so the, the, the academy there, very positive. Good, thank you. Yes. From Loma Linda. And spot on, love her. All right, all right, all right. Anyone else that said their area is like, wow, Ellen White? Yes. Weimar, all right. Yes, I've got relatives up that way, definitely. Okay, how about somewhat positively? So it's not, we'll jump up and down and get excited, but yeah, nice. Anyone? No? All right, how about the, the neutral? Neutral. Yeah, whatever. What area are you from? Silver Spring. Okay. Okay. Whatever. All right. Any, any other whatevers? Huh? Well, you would also say whatever? Okay. Oh, someone from my church here, so we're, we're just here. I guess he's scared, huh? <laughs> Not our church. Not our church. But our area. Okay, here we go. Good. All right, how about somewhat negative? All right, as well, yeah. Somewhat negative. How about Ellen White and you start a fight? Yeah? Shuts down completely. If you say Ellen White, it's just like waving a red flag to a bull, right? Okay, so I think probably a lot of this has to do with what you really think of Ellen White. Now, well, maybe we won't do this in a group, we'll just because we'll move on quickly. How do you think what you think of Ellen White influences how you read her? Do you think there's a direct connection between the two? Okay, she is not someone you can read neutrally like the newspaper because there's this intimate connection between what you think of a person, in this case, this person, and how you read. So you've got to go back and have a look. First of all, you've got to find out why did she write if you can answer the why, that often solves a lot of problems. Because I think in some people's mind, why she wrote is she wrote to give me a hard time. Now, when I was growing up uh, in one of the churches, I, I, my father's a pastor, so I don't know how many churches we were at. I was at at least seven different schools growing up. So we, we ate a lot of churches, but there was one church where there was an old brother he walked with a limp, and he had this burden for the young people, and because the time of trouble was coming, so we all had to memorize scripture and Ellen White, according to him. And he was going to see that we did that. So he used to stand at the door to the church, at the entrance of the church, and when he saw you, he said, next week, great controversy, page 54, the first paragraph. And Psalms 95, next week. And he was, I don't know if he had been in the military in his younger days or what, but you know, when he looked at you, you didn't argue with him and you said, yes, sir. Of course, we didn't do it, but we said, yes, sir. 
And then we tried to avoid him because the, he might have been old, but he had a brilliant memory. And he remembered who he told what to. So he would stand at that church door. And we would stand, the, the young people, we'd stand kind of in a little corner, a little huddle. Now we want to get in, but we've got to get past brother so-and-so to get in. It reminded me of, you know, like the, the hyena at the waterhole. Uh, with all the animals standing there, they're thirsty, they want to drink, but they can't come because, you see, he would stand there at the door, you know. And then finally, someone would make a run for it, and he'd inv invariably grab that person. So he'd grab you and pull you aside and say, so, young man, have you learned great controversy, page so-and-so, come repeat it for me. And while he was, you know, working with you, all the rest of us would slip in and we'd kind of grin at the poor victim over there. And he wouldn't let you go until you'd repeated that paragraph after him. Okay, then he had done his job and he let you in and he'd do it again next week. So it kind of left a bit of a negative association. So basically Ellen White was out to get you to stop you from going into church, for one. In my mind, anyway. So that's why figuring out why she wrote would help a lot in how you read her and how you interpret her. So why did she write? She wrote, first of all, because she wanted to bring people back to the Bible. That was her passion, and that's something we mustn't forget. When we will look later at interpreting Ellen White, she never wanted to write another Bible. She didn't want to supersede the Bible. She didn't want to become something else. She wanted to bring people back to the Bible. She loved the Bible. She had so many parts of the, she read the Bible so often that she would often use biblical imagery without realizing it. That's how kind of, it was totally immersed in it. Boy, we have competition next door, don't we? Okay, she wanted to vividly impress the truths of the Bible upon, upon people. There's one thing to read about Jesus coming, right? A verse or two, you know? in the Bible describing the second coming. It's another thing when you get this vivid four or five page first person account of what it actually looks like, okay? That's part of that vividly impressing Bible truths. So that's another reason why she wrote. To give clearer understanding of truths. Was the Sabbath something that Ellen White invented? Did she invent it? No. The Sabbath has been there since when? Creation. But she helps to provide bigger, better understanding of it. She joins the dots on the little picture. You go, oh, yeah, well, of course, it's always been there. Why didn't I see that before? It's all there. <laughs> this is the one we normally think of when we think of Ellen White. This was her least favorite job. This was her least favorite job. She hated this. She was shy. She was shy. And some of the things that she saw, uh, that she had to repeat, that she had to go to people and tell them about, she wrote more than once in her diary. She says, I would rather die than have to give another message like I did yesterday. After a while, she found it so emotionally taxing that she used to prefer writing it because she, it would just take so much out of her when she went and spoke to people. Now imagine, imagine, is there anybody here that's 17 or 18? Okay, 
1718. Imagine, you see Elder Wilson in vision doing something really disgusting, okay? Imagine. Now, I'm not painting him black here, but just imagine, all right? You've seen that, and you're told, go and confront him with it. How do you feel? Delighted? Ready to dash off? Like, Elder Wilson, I saw you three nights ago at such and such a hotel with da-da-da-da. I saw it all. And God saw it. And you're not fit to lead his people unless you repent. Would you like the job? This was her least favorite job. And she hated it. But there, I find this very intriguing. At least on her written letters, she never ever writes a rebuke to someone for their sins without offering hope. Because why on earth does God take the time and the trouble to speak to Ellen and ask Ellen to tell that person unless God wants that person in heaven? There's one interesting letter where there's a pastor who is using his position to get to young women in the church. Some of them are really young, 12, 13-year-olds, that he is actually sexually misusing. And he's a renowned evangelist, and he's doing this. Now, I'm a mother, and if I found out about this, you know, I would be ready, yeah, to take some drastic action with that man. She writes to him, and it's one of the most fiery letters I have read of hers. I mean, she just lays it on. She says, don't think, you, don't think you're tricking God. He sees, he knows. He's seen you with this person, that person, this and that, how you manipulate, how you groom these girls. How he just lays it, she just lays it onto him, page after page of what he's doing. And she says, you know, that's not even the worst of it. These people, these girls, are looking at you as a stand-in for God. You are ruining their perception of God and jeopardizing their eternity because they think God's like you, abusive and manipulative, which he isn't. Um, you know, she really lays it onto him. And I would, you know, I'm like, yeah, go for it. This is... And she ends off, I mean, she says, you are totally disqualified from any pastoral position. You resign now, you leave. Um, Back then, you couldn't prosecute people like you would do today. But she wants the fullest extent. She says, you should never be in a position where you have any contact with with young people, especially with with this age group, etc. She really lays it on, and she says, and... And I'm not doing this quietly. I will talk to people around you. But then she ends off in the last paragraph. She says, but your case is not hopeless. You've totally messed things up here, but Jesus died for you as well. If you come clean, if you are reconverted, there is still a savior for you. 
And I go, wow. <laughs> I wouldn't have added that line for, for that guy. All right. She wrote because she wanted to apply biblical principles in a modern setting. She's like an update on your app. Okay? You've got that app. We've got those biblical principles, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, Jesus takes it a step further. It's always been there. Love your neighbor as yourself uh, in, in the, the first books of Moses. Jesus takes that further. He says, who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Anyone who is in need, even the Samaritan, he's your neighbor. Jesus contextualizes a biblical principle, Right? In his time and place. Ellen White takes that same principle and shows us how it can be updated to the 19th century. Which is like, okay, that's a whole lot closer. That's 1900 years closer. We're a little bit further along now, but we can see how that update process takes place. And that helps us to make a quicker jump for our updates over here. So that's an interesting thing. Finally, not finally, but she also wrote to give hope and comfort. I don't know how it is with you, but sometimes I feel really far away from God. And I don't even feel like reading my Bible. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Uh, and a sure-go cure for me is to pick up Steps to Christ and read the first chapter. That just, just draws me back. Just draws me back. God still loves me, even me. It gives me tremendous hope and comfort over here. And she wanted to magnify end-time issues. We spoke a little bit about that earlier on, giving clearer understanding of biblical truths. Okay, here's your turn. Here's your turn. What does inspiration mean? What does it mean to be inspired? We said Ellen White is inspired. What does that mean? Just quickly, with your partner. Okay, that was an easy question, right? Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, let's, let's come back to the answers. I won't take feedback yet. Let's go on. While you're on a roll, let's see here. Because we're talking about inspiration, and we know that the Bible is inspired. And now the logical question is, what is Ellen White's relationship to the Bible? Is 
Ellen White greater than the Bible. And by that I mean, if I read Ellen White, I mean really read her, really study her, I don't have to study the Bible because I'm getting all that good stuff through Ellen White. Okay? So if I do my devotions just from Ellen White and I do my studies just from Ellen White, I should be able to be getting the Bible that way. Okay? That would be greater. How about Ellen White is less than the Bible? In other words, I take the Bible first, foremost, Ellen White's a secondary source. Or I can ignore Ellen White if it's not in the Bible. Okay? Or I say they are on the exact same level. They're like absolutely equal, Ellen White and the Bible. As far as inspiration, as far as authority, they're right there. Ellen White is just like the Bible. Now we're going to do something really exciting. We're going to vote. You're going to choose one of those options because, I mean, you've all got an idea of how Ellen White relates to the Bible, right? So those are your options that you're going to choose from. And we're going to take a vote. You only have one vote, all right? You only have one vote. And we're going to do the South American style. So that means you have to vote. There's no option. All right. Anybody here come from any of the South American countries? Nobody? Okay, I lived in Peru and Argentina, and at voting time, you pay a fine, a big fine if you don't vote. So, um, yeah, we won't do the fine, you just have to vote. All right? You ready to vote? Those are your options. Greater than, less than, equal. Good? If you're very shy, you can just vote in front, okay? But you've got to vote. Are you ready? Who's voting for greater than? You can just be very discreet. There's no one here. Or you're just too scared. All right. You've only got two options left. Are you ready? Less than. Okay, this might be interesting to count. One, two, three, four, five. No, no. Other people are joining. Group mentality. They're joining in now. Okay, so it looks like a majority. Let's see equal to. This one, two, three, four, five, six brave souls. Seven. All right, well done. Would you like to know the answer? Yes? I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> To lead on, what is inspiration like? We'll do another activity. This is one of my favorite activities. It's really fun. But you need to be in a couple for it. You need two people for it. So it, I see there's some people that are on their own or in a group of three. Could you, could you connect up maybe with, 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 with him? Is there anyone else that is on their own or in a group of three so that you can reshuffle? Because you need to be at least two for this to work. We need ones and twos. Are there, there's a, there's a, are you, are you, are you together? Okay. Um, are you, you're a pair? So you one person extra there, right? All right, anybody else? We've got one person here at the back. Are you, are you a group there? Anyone, are you alone? Okay, would you, would you join with him at, at the back there? Okay, thank you. I'm, now I'm reshuffling you, but I think it's kind of a fun one. 
All right, so everyone's got a partner. Now, you have two partners. All right, so you'll have two partners, and we'll... Okay, you both be number ones, okay? You're both number ones. All right, so you have a one and a two, all right? Decide who's one and who's two. Okay. I would like all the number twos to close your eyes, and you keep your eyes closed and you don't cheat, all right? So all the twos, close your eyes, keep them closed, don't cheat. Number ones, look at the screen. There's a picture I'm going to put up for a few seconds. Don't say anything, just study that picture, okay? Study the picture. Take in all the details. Don't say anything. All right. Number, whoever's got your eyes closed, you can open them. <laughs> Where were you? Ones, right? Twos had their eyes closed. Okay. Now, number one, please describe to number two what you saw. In as much detail as possible, you want your number two to be able to see what you saw. Go for it. Okay, how did you do? All our number twos, how was it? Was it easy? You think it was easy? Yeah, you feel happy, you feel confident? All right, now we're going to let our number one see what you saw. All right? That's what they saw. Now, give them an honest evaluation of how they did. Give them an honest evaluation. Tell them if they did a good job. that really saw it exactly where your partner just you were spot on you really saw that anyone all right 
All right. For the other kind of. Kind of. Oh, well, if you're getting to kind of, I think you're good. It was there anyone who was way off? You saw something totally different or imagined something totally different. Yeah, yours was totally different. You just got a little teeny taste of what it's like to be a prophet. You just got a little taste of what it's like to be a prophet. Imagine that you see something that no living person has seen. And now it's your job to tell other people what you saw. How do you begin? How do you begin? You have to start thinking about things that they know, that they see. You know, um, you know when you have your cart and, and uh, you know, try and draw from their world to try to describe things that they've never seen. And you try your best, but you know when they start coming, when they get the feedback, you know, ah, it just, ah, it's so frustrating. I just, I wish I could do it clearer. And Ellen, this was her biggest problem. She felt it, or she felt it most keenly. She writes over and over. She says, I don't have the language to describe what I saw. I just don't have it. I mean, she says, the colors. There are, are colors in heaven that we, have no, that we have no vocabulary for. Just look at the description that John, the revelator, gives versus Ezekiel. They seen the exact same thing in God's throne room. But they focus on different things, and they get something, and they try to describe that as, as, as best they can. And, and, you know, Ezekiel's thing is, is actually pretty scary, where you have these wheels with eyes, and, and, and uh, it's weird, because we can't imagine we haven't seen. We have no idea. John decides to leave the wheels with the eyes alone, and he concentrates on other things. Ellen White spends a whole long time talking about a field of grass that she saw in vision in heaven. Because I think she finally said, now here's something I can try to describe. Maybe if they understand how nice the grass is, they'll get an idea that, you know, the other things are so much bigger and better. So you see some of the challenge of being a prophet, to convey that information, and not just the information, but the feelings, the emotion, the total experience of what you've been exposed to. Now we've got to keep that in mind when we read her writings. We keep this in mind when we try to grapple with what inspiration means. Now, there have been two big views on inspiration uh, throughout Christian history, but it's still prominent in our church. Um, it's there. These are just briefly verbal inspiration versus thought inspiration. Now, what is verbal inspiration? Verbal inspiration says that the prophet receives the words, the ideas, maybe the ideas, maybe the vision, but when Ellen White sat down to write, she became a vehicle for God to use. Okay? God chose the words, she wrote the words. It's like 
what Siri does. Okay? You talk and she writes. Sometimes she writes funny things, but it's maybe just my accent. But generally she gets it right. The exact words, she gets it for my emails. So that would be verbal inspiration. Thought inspiration is a little bit of what we have done over here. Thought inspiration is the prophet would get a vision like you had, okay? You had your little vision here, but it wasn't under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but would have a vision. But on top of that, they could do other things. They could interview, they could collect material, and they write in their own words. I'm pretty sure none of you said the exact same thing as the other. If we had to record all of your descriptions, they would all be slightly different because you chose your own words. Now they'd all have something in common. I bet you all had lampstands or candlesticks, right? You all had lights. You all had Jesus. You all had white robe. And you all had gold waistband, correct? So you probably had the same fundamental features, but you all chose different words to try to describe what you saw. Can anyone give me an example of a biblical author who actually didn't even have a vision, but wrote a biblically inspired book? Anyone? Or was all of the Bible when a prophet saw a vision and then wrote it down? He saw the actual events. That was kind of a history journal thing. He was okay, good. The Gospels, the Gospels, yes, Matthew, Mark. These were people that were with Jesus. They didn't see visions. They saw Jesus, and they watched Jesus, they observed Jesus, and then under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they remembered events. That's why they remember different events, some of them. They have some that are the same, but others that are different, that they remember different events and write them down. But there was one person who was never with Jesus and never saw visions, but he interviewed people, probably Mary, Peter were his main sources. Mark, Mark probably was tagging along for some of the some of the experiences. But very clearly, Luke. Luke. And he even says that at the beginning, he writes to the sponsor who is provided, and he said, I set out to provide an orderly account of the things that have happened. So he did the interviewing, collecting material, and then he wrote it out. And he even changed, to because he was writing for a non-Jewish audience, so he changed name places and gave them their non-Jewish, or he filled in on brackets to explain terms that non-Jews wouldn't 
would, would be able to understand better Jewish culture. Okay, the important thing is that all of this is done under the Holy Spirit, done under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a prophet. A prophet does not necessarily only see visions. He does research. He does interviews. But what he collects, what he leaves, the Holy Spirit inspires. He uses his own words, but Holy Spirit inspired. Good. Good. Let's go back. No, before we go back, let's give you one more turn over here. There's your question with your partner. We spoke about the two kinds or the two ideas of inspiration that float around. Remember what they mean? We had verbal and thought. Now, what dangers can you see in, uh, in a belief in verbal inspiration? Or are there no dangers? Just quickly with your partner, what dangers? Okay, the last big value genesis study that we had uh, showed a remarkable decline in reading of Ellen White and reading of the Bible amongst Adventist Academy student age young people. We have no statistics on above, but that was Academy age. Uh, this is the Value Genesis study is the longest running study the church in North America has done. And it's a very cool study because you can compare. It's done every 10 years. So you can, and it's been done, I think, four times. So you've got 40 years of data to look at. And some of the questions that really interest me, one of the questions is, how often do you read Ellen White? Or are you even exposed to her in any given week? And then do you believe that Ellen White is a prophet over here? And then there's a third one. The, the do you believe in Ellen White as a prophet is showing steady decline. Each, each year it has about, each time, every 10 years, it has about a 15% lower rate. 
Okay? So we, we're standing at about 35% of our young people believe that she is a prophet. Whoops, right now. Um, that's kind of a sorry figure when you think we're Seventh-day Adventists. This has been one of our founding... I mean, we wouldn't be Seventh-day Adventists at all if it weren't for Ellen White's writings. Uh, the other over here is how often uh, do you have contact with Ellen White in any given week with her writings? Uh, that was down. I thought the previous one was very low. That was 10%. 10% of Adventist youth, academy age, have anything to do with her or had anything to do with her on the previous study. The latest figure that's come down, it's 2%. So the footnote on that is that next time the study's done, you probably wouldn't want to include this question because uh, statistically it becomes unimportant. So that's pretty sobering. Um, the part that worries me I mean, that worries me. That worries me a lot. Uh, but something else that worries me on the other scale is of this 2% that are reading Ellen White, we are noticing an upsurge in verbal inspiration. You can understand that when everybody's saying, oh, we don't believe in Ellen White, it's all nonsense, that people would take a hard line and they'd say, well, of course, I believe in Ellen White. I believe in every word she said. I believe in Ellen White. She is inspired. But I believe that she is verbally inspired. God directed every word she wrote. I can take it. I believe in it. I stand on it. So what would you say would be some of the dangers of believing that God dictated Every word that Ellen White wrote. That's what you spoke about in your groups. So there must be some answers. Yes. Things out of context. Excellent. You've got to remember context. Good. Anything else? What would be the danger? Yes. Okay. So you say it doesn't consider the human aspect. Good, good. Anyone else? What are the dangers? Yes. Okay, the human factor of adding or taking away. Yes? Sorry, I couldn't hear very well the first part. Just say it and I'll repeat it again. Okay, so in a different way. 
So we actually, miscommunication takes place. I hear one thing, you saying another thing, and there's a danger of miscommunication. And cultural differences. Thank you. I'm glad you bring that up. I'm glad you bring that up. Communication is a whole process. It's not just stuffing information into your head. Communication is a total package experience. My tone of voice that I use says so much. The words I choose say so much as well, but my motivation makes a big difference. Now, we'll speak a little bit more about this in another seminar, the actual translations and the actual working with the text to avoid some of these things. But the biggest danger, and we've had this happen over and over and over in our church history, um, one of our Ellen White's biggest opponents during her lifetime was a strong believer in her until he found a mistake in one of her writings. Until he found that she had made a mistake and he said, what? She misquoted the number of rooms in the sanitarium. She added an extra room that wasn't in the sanitarium. She saw in vision that these rooms were being made, and she talks about them, and she says, I saw that God wants us to whatever with these vision, uh, with these things. And so she says, so I think all of those, whatever, 48 rooms um, should be redone in this way, in this way. Okay? And he looked at this, and he said, but that number's wrong. How can God give you a wrong number? Doesn't God know how to count? If God doesn't know how to count and he's giving you misinformation, then I'm sorry, I can't trust what you're writing. That's it. And he became one of her biggest opponents. And she writes and she says, God never showed me the number of rooms. God showed me some rooms. I asked how many rooms there were and I was given that information. And I added it. I did it in good faith. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I'm ready to correct it. Someone else got really upset and left believing in Ellen White because she describes during the massacre, the St. Bartholomew Day massacre, she describes that the cathedral bell began to toll in the middle of the, the, the city, began to toll at the time that the massacre was supposed to begin. And it turns out, according to historical documents, that it wasn't the main cathedral bell that started tolling. It was the chapel, the royal chapel, outside that tolled first. So how could God give her the wrong chapel bells ringing? If God literally gave every word that she wrote, how could she get the chapel bells wrong? We can't believe in anything she said. Strange, but a lot of people have applied that to the Bible. How many de uh, devil-possessed men were there that Jesus healed? Were they one or were they two? One gospel reports one, another says two. Huh? Matthew makes a mistake. He says in the book of Isaiah, it's not in Isaiah, it's Micah, the quote that he makes. There are mistakes. 
They are human errors. They are sometimes a number wrong. That does not disqualify the person from being God's mouthpiece. Because the total person is inspired. God isn't inspiring or dictating. God gives the total experience. It happened more than once. Look at Nathan the prophet. David says, um, I'm, going to build the prof- I'm going to build the temple. Nathan says, good job, you have God's blessing. Wonderful idea, go for it. Nathan walks out, he comes back, he says, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. God doesn't want you building the temple. He says, there's too much blood on your hands. Your son will build the temple, not you. Nathan the prophet had to say, sorry, got that message wrong. Here's the repeat. This is it. And the same thing happens with Ellen White. That's why it is so important to understand how inspiration works. Because you don't want your trust and your belief in God, in God's word, in Ellen White's writings, torn out from under your feet by a number of rooms in a sanitarium. Or by the book of Isaiah versus the book of Micah. You don't want that. You want to understand how God uses people to transmit his message over here. One of the important points that we as as Seventh-day Adventists stand on is sola scriptura. Remember, this is the call of the Reformation. The Reformation was, we believe in the Bible. Martin Luther says, Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong, and I will recant. Don't quote me church fathers. Don't quote me papal committees. Give it to me in the Bible. And we are children of the Reformation. We say, give it to us in the Bible. The Bible is our standard for faith and practice. But... Having the Bible as our standard for faith and practice does not exclude other authority. It doesn't say we will only accept the Bible and God can't go on talking anywhere else. I'm only taking God's first email and I'm not taking any further text messages. Thank you very much. That's all I'm doing. No. Especially when the Bible itself tells us, test the prophets. There will be prophets. Look out for them. Test them. Make sure they're from me. And then accept their words. So the Bible itself tells us that the gift of prophecy will continue until the end of time. Now, how many of you voted for Ellen White less less than the Bible? That was the big majority. Well done. Well done. Ellen White is below the Bible. Why? Because we test what she's writing by the Bible. Right? We test everything she writes by the Bible. We've got to test it over there. She points to the Bible. And this is a very important point. She doesn't recommend her own books almost anywhere. What does she recommend? She says, in more than one place, I wouldn't have to write so much if you read your Bible more. 
over here. She says, as a matter of fact, you wouldn't even need me if you were studying your Bible. Her last words to a general conference were, brothers and sisters, I commend to you this book, this book, the Bible. So she points to the Bible. She doesn't replace the Bible, unlike the Book of Mormon, for instance. The Book of Mormon is a Bible replacement. Apparently, the Bible got some stuff wrong, and so Joseph Smith had this vision and got the golden tablets and all that and made improvements on the Bible. So his book is more accurate than the Bible. And there are several other of these religions that are organized by a prophet, but the big difference is they have an update on the Bible and a correction on the Bible. Ellen White never does. She never replaces the Bible. She doesn't correct the Bible or make it better or change. She points to the Bible. She magnifies the Bible and she exalts the Bible. We can talk more about practical points later on, how to use her in our devotions, etc., that we make sure we get that balance all right. Now, was there anybody that said that she was equal to the Bible? There were a couple of very brave souls. Very brave souls. Let's see these brave souls. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. You know what, folks? These people are correct. These people are correct as well. That was a cheating thing. It is below and equal is the answer. Why is she equal to the Bible? Well, who inspired the Bible? Remember, everything under God, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. How did Ellen White get her visions? Under whose inspiration? The Holy Spirit's inspiration. How did she actually sit down, write, gather the information, decide how to put this together? Under whose supervision? The Holy Spirit. So... That means if the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and I come, I test her and I come to the realization that the same Holy Spirit has inspired her writings, can I pick and choose and say, you know what? I don't like this, so I'm leaving that out. That's not inspired. This is really good stuff. I'll take this. Can I do that? Can I do that with the Bible? Like many Christian faiths do, I accept the New Testament, but not the Old Testament. Can I do that? No. Same spirit. Same spirit. It's the package deal. That's why we have Ellen White as authoritative as the Bible over here. Um, do you see how this links up? Do you see how this links up? And it's, it's really beautiful. Ellen White... Her writings, her ministry, they add to the Bible, they magnify the Bible, they make the Bible center and foremost. And we arrived two minutes early. Thank you very much. What will we be doing later? I know you've got different seminars and many of you want to get as much as you can in and I can understand that. What we will be doing this afternoon is we will be doing hands-on stuff. We will be taking difficult passages of Ellen White and we will be learning how to work with them. 
So we'll be doing the hermeneutics. It's very hands-on, so bring something to write with. And you possibly, if you want to bring a Bible or an iPhone or whatever you use, uh, bring it along. You don't need it, but you may want it as, a, as an extra. So we will learn what do we do. Where she says in one place, don't eat eggs. She says in another place, eat eggs. So what do I do? All right. Is riding a bicycle a sin? What about cosmetics? Will it kill me? Okay, maybe dating questions. Hands-on working with Ellen White and looking at the principles of hermeneutics. That's this afternoon. Let's have a prayer to end. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this great privilege you've given us. Thank you for wanting to talk to us. We are so blind and we're so stuck in our little world. We can't see any of the unseen realities of eternity, of heaven, of the angels around us. All of this is way out of our zone. But we thank you that you still want to talk to us. Thank you that you gave us your word. Thank you that you worked with frail men and women throughout history, that we have this book. And thank you that you've continued inspiring people and that we have as well Ellen White and her writings. I want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning that they too can use what you have given us to grow, to flourish, to be strong, and most of all, to be more in love with Jesus. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.